How are you guys doing today? Nice and chilly? It's a little, little warmer in here. Although, if I start sweating like a televangelist up here, that means the, that means the heater is working way too well. It's working perfectly for you. But with women, you can't tell. Because one, one woman is like, ah, it's hot. The other woman is like, are you guys trying to freeze us out of here? Can't right. You try to figure them out. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let us rejoice. Uh, this morning we are in the Gospel of Matthew. We are in chapter four as we continue. We pick up where we left off last week. We covered the first eleven verses of uh, chapter 4 last week, and so that's, uh, we will cover the rest of the chapter this, this morning. Um, what we will see in this text this morning is King Jesus setting up his kingdom, setting up his headquarters, setting up part of his cabinet, if you will, and setting up his agenda of what it will look like as he rules and reigns here on earth as he has set up his kingdom as the kingdom of heaven is at hand let's pray father thank you lord even before we read your word lord god we're just excited to be able to come and worship and honor you lord lord help our ears to be open help our hearts to be open lord our minds uh, just prepare us lord for this morning and for your word in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12 of chapter 4 of the Gospel of Matthew says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by, the, by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And those who sit in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him going on from there he saw two other brothers James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets he called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went through.
throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptic, paraleptic, paraleptic, I'm probably messing that one up, (laughs) paralytics, yes, (laughs) and he healed them, great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, and Judea, and beyond the Jordan, (laughs) Patty's cracking up up here, man, because I'm messing it up. Thank you, my man. <laughs> you try to get up here and read. No, Come on, people. Uh, but anyways, going back to verse 12, verses 12 to 17. Let's look at that portion right there where, where it says, And when Jesus heard that John had been put in, in jail. Now, we don't know the timeline that has happened here from, from the last verse that we covered last week to, to today, from verse 11 to 12. We really don't have the timeline um, and, and, and when it was since we last heard of John the Baptist in that sense. And when exactly did he get thrown in jail? Now we do know that after the baptism of Jesus, there was those days, those 40 days that we covered last week. And it seemed like um, after he came up out of the water, according to the Gospel of Matthew or, or, or Mark, and even Matthew, it just seemed like, he was led right into the wilderness as he's coming out, probably still wet, walking into the wilderness. I don't know exactly how that happened, but it was after his baptism that he went up uh, for those 40 days uh, to fast and to pray, and he was tempted in those 40 days. And it seems that John the Baptist is still there, not in prison, after he gets back for the most part, because we know from the Gospel of John that John the Baptist saw Jesus as he walked after the baptism, whether it was right after the baptism or right after the 40 days. But once again, he looked at at Jesus as he, he was walking, and this time he just says, Behold the Lamb of God. It was before the baptism that he had Proclaim, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, or the sin of the world. And in this time, at the end, getting or toward the middle, it's a long first chapter in John, but in that latter part, he just says, behold the Lamb of God. And it was at that time that two of his disciples, John's disciples, began to follow after Jesus. One of them being Andrew, Peter's brother. Now, it was at the end of John chapter 1 that that kind of takes place, that a couple of guys start following after Jesus, it says. But in chapters 2 and 3 of the Gospel of John, we see Jesus perform a miracle in Cana in chapter 2. And he went to a Passover in Jerusalem, and he had this dialogue with with Nicodemus, if you remember, in in John chapter 3. Well, it was after that portion of that dialogue that he has with Nicodemus when we see, for the last time, John the Baptist out doing ministry. In John chapter 3, in the latter part of chapter 3, 
in verse 22 to 24, it says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Enon near Salim because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Baptized, For John had not been thrown into prison. And, and, and we get that at the end of John chapter 3. And John says some things afterwards. And after chapter 3, we don't hear of John anymore. So we don't know when the timeline was that now he's in jail or he's in prison. But Jesus hears about it. And so he goes into action. But why was John thrown into jail in the first place? Well, Josephus, a, a writer and historian of the time, said that, that it was because John the Baptist was getting too popular and that Herod feared that there would be a revolt of some kind because he was that popular. Now, that's not what the writers of the Gospels say. They, 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 they basically all say, but I will quote from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. It says, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John, and bound him and put him into prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said to Herod, It is not lawful. For you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him. And wanted to kill him. But she could not. One of the things as we close up with John for a while. One of the things we know about John the Baptist. Is that he was bold. <laughs> to his detriment even. You know. It, no matter what, what it cost him. He was going to be bold. Now again there's people who like to be bold. Some of you guys like to be bold, but you don't want to pay the consequences for being bold, you know, because you're bold and you tell it like it is and you stand up against somebody and then somebody comes after you and goes, I can't believe they're that bad. It's like, no, John was bold enough that, that he knew that whatever it would cost him. See, people want to be bold, but don't want to pay the consequences. For him, it was getting thrown in jail. <laughs> Again, if you want to be bold, then there's going to be probably consequences and i'm not saying don't be bold but when we stand up for righteousness sake and that's kind of what he does with herod he stands up for righteousness sake and he gets thrown in jail and he doesn't start crying until a little later but he doesn't start crying about it because he had some doubts in there hey man he was human but but again it just he was willing to pay the the cross or the the, the cost and so he was straight up with with Herod, and I'm sure Herod didn't like it when he heard him, and somehow they, they knew each other. I, I truly believe that Herod respected John for who he was and what he did. But others wanted his head, which happened to be his sister-in-law, now wife, that didn't like him saying, come on, bro, this is wrong. But we also know that from the end of John chapter 3, that, that, that John had said something to, to this effect. He must increase and I must decrease. 
Jesus must increase, and John the Baptist was now going to take the second. He, was, he, he came as the king's forerunner, but now his, his purpose was over as being the king's forerunner, and now he was going to take second fiddle, if you will. He was going to drop back. And as bad as it might sound, the Lord took him off the scene, and the best thing for him was to put him in prison. It's like, well, that's never good. No, that's, John was done. I'm not saying that whenever we're done, he puts us in prison. I'm just saying that for John the Baptist, it was his time to to decrease. And Jesus was going to take the forefront. And it was interesting because in the Gospel of John, in that chapter, you know, his disciples are going, hey, remember that guy that we baptized that you said, behold the Lamb? Man, everybody's going to him. And that's when he says, because he will increase and I will decrease. And so we see that John now is in prison and has served his purpose. And so because of that, it says he departed from Galilee or departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth. And he came to Capernaum. Galilee is some 60 to 70 miles north of Jerusalem. It's about 20 miles northeast of Nazareth. Galilee is that area where the, where the Sea of Galilee is at. And Capernaum, and I say Capernaum because that's the way I looked it up and that's the way I've always learned it. I know some of you guys, are, it's Capernaum. It's like, it's Capernaum in my book. And I'm up here and you're not. <laughs> I know someone's like, oh, I hate when he says it like that. Anyways, it's Capernaum. Capernaum is on the, if you look at your map, and you see the Sea of Galilee, it is on the northwest side of it, on the northern part, north, northwest side of, of the sea, which is actually a lake, but it's called the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus did a lot, if not most of his ministry, in that area. He, he was setting up his headquarters in Capernaum. That would be his headquarters. And a lot of people think that, that Jesus did all of his work and everything down in Jerusalem. And he didn't. He, didn't do, he did probably 25% down in, in Jerusalem area or other areas besides in that region. And I think I shared with you one, years ago when I was able to be in, in, Gal, or in the Galilee area that our tour guide, he kind of looks north and he says Jesus did 75% of his work right there. In that area, as, as you kind of look on your map and just kind of go like this, that's where Jesus did most of his work. Jesus set up his headquarters up in Galilee area, in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a very strategic place. And the excavation that has gone on in that place, you, 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 you know, he says that a little later we read that, that he taught in the synagogues there. There's a synagogue there. There's several synagogues in that region. It was, it was like the main hub for trade. There was a lot that was going on. And so Jesus goes there. He goes to that place where it was a place of, of, of just a lot of culture and, and, and just a mixture of people. Zebulun and Naphtali are part of the, the 12 tribes of Israel but they belong to the northern kingdom. If you've been here on Thursday nights, you, you, you realize the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they were part of the northern kingdom. 
And as we've been sharing on Thursday nights, they began to do a lot of idol worship and, 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 and just heathen worship. And they had gotten so far away, especially the northern kingdom, from God. From the purity of Judaism, they had, they had just gone so far away. And there was darkness all around. It, it, it permeated the place. Again, be, between uh, Capernaum and, and Jerusalem, there's, there's Samaria. And Samaria, again, the, they, they just looked down on those people and anybody around there. You know, they, they weren't highly exalted or, or they didn't think too highly of the people the Jews did. The people from the south, they really didn't look too highly upon those guys. But it says here in, in verse 14 that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Again, we see this phrase that it might be fulfilled. Matthew continues to use Old Testament scripture as he is writing to a group of people, the Jews. He, even though the good Jews didn't think too highly about, about the people that lived in Galilee or in that area, even as it says in, 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 uh, in Isaiah, Galilee of the Gentiles, there was a lot of mixture up there, even though the, the pure Jews, the, the religious Jews, didn't think too highly of those people. I love the fact that Jesus set his headquarters up in that area. It was dark. And I thought, right on, Jesus. He went to where it was super dark. He went up there because the people up there were not only walking in darkness, it says that they sat in darkness. They were enveloped in darkness. They, they had settled in darkness. And it was in that area that, that as he goes back to, to Nazareth, when he begins his ministry, he heads over to where it's even darker. And he's going to let his light shine there. He, he brought his light to come, or, 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 or he came to that place that was so dark. And his light would shine. The, the, this region, it says it was a shadow of, of, of death. And light has dawned. And I love that because he comes on the scene. People are being drawn to him, as we'll see at the end. But he went to where it was dark. They lived in that darkness, and they could not do anything to get out of that darkness. They were hopeless. And, and I don't know how you felt in your life when, 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 when things were not going the way you wanted them to go and you were just in darkness and you knew it and you could not get yourself out of it. And there's times even within our Christian walk that we get ourselves in a place that is just so dark and you're going, Lord, why have you left me? And he's going, I haven't left you. I haven't left you not one bit. But, but, but you've gone into darkness and you've sat there. And done nothing to get yourself out. My word is right here. And you haven't been in the word or in fellowship or, or in anything kind of remotely close to the light. 
And when we cannot get ourselves out of the darkness, that's when we pray and when we cry out to Him. And it's like, Lord, okay, here I am. And His light shines. Because we couldn't get ourselves out of darkness. And these people could not get themselves out of the darkness. And Jesus comes and He sets up His headquarters in the darkest place in that region. Just like He sets up His headquarters in our dark hearts at times. And he, sh- he lets his light shine in those places. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, and he's talking to the people down south, but, but it, it, it applies here. As Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while, while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. And a little later in that chapter in verse 46, it says, I have come as the light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. He, he, he has brought the light. He is the light of the world. And when we get in, our, in situations where we're so filled with darkness because we've filled ourselves with darkness and we've allowed the darkness to, to snuff out the light, Jesus says, I have come. I am the, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me, who, he who adheres to me and, 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 and relies upon me, trusts in me, They won't dwell in the darkness. They won't abide in the darkness. The darkness cannot comprehend the light, it says. So we need to have Jesus permeating in our lives constantly because the darkness wants to come in constantly. See, see, Jesus would do for these people what they could not do for themselves. And that's what he's come to do for all of mankind. He is the light of the world. And in this, he fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. He fulfills that prophecy that he would come to the, the, the Gal- Galilee of the Gentiles and the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, Light has shone. And he came to a mixture of people that were not respected, if you will. And so from that time, in verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A familiar mantra, a familiar proclamation, if you will. The word preach means to make proclamation as a herald. Heralding the gospel, the good news. Jesus was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus began to do at the beginning of his ministry, to go and preach... (laughs) He began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
What he began in the beginning of the ministry, at the end of his ministry, as he is about to die, he gives that authority to his disciples and says, now you go and do the same. In Mark chapter, nine, uh, chapter 16, verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Amplified puts it like this, go into all the world and preach and publish openly the good news, the gospel, to every creature of the human, of the whole human race. So what Jesus began in the beginning, at the end, he says, now it's your turn. Now it's our turn to go and preach the gospel. Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom of heaven. But unfortunately, many in that day, many of the Jews in that day, thought, this is it. This is it. The kingdom of David is going to be set up once again. And we are going to be able to be freed from the Romans. You see, that's what they were expecting from the Messiah when he came on the scene. That's what they thought that he would do, that he would come and, and, and he would be going to free them politically. That the Messiah would come with a heavy hand wielding a sword. That he was going to clean house and that he would free them. And that would be good news for them, for the Jews. Well, we know <laughs> that that was going to happen in the second coming. That he was going to free and do all this, come with the heavy hand. In his first coming, he came to set them free from the bondage of sin. He came with a meek hand, wielding the words of love and forgiveness. He was going to cleanse the hearts and lives of the people who were in darkness. He was going to set them free from the inside. That's what he came to do. He came to give them peace where they had no peace. The, 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 the world cannot give us peace, and Jesus is the only one that can give us that. And that is the good news that he was proclaiming. He was coming to set men free from themselves, basically, not from the Romans. And that is the message that he had. He was coming to deal with men on the inside. But then again, this would change all of history. Because the time had come that, that he would do away with the old and bring in the new. And so it was going to go much deeper than just setting people free in that sense. The time was so significant, significant of his coming. He would change everything. You see, this was going to be huge. It was going to be big. It was going to be epic. He was going to be moving this time frame. It, 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 he was moving into a different dispensation for you dispensationalists out there. <laughs> to a different era, if you will. Different, everything was going to be different. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past 
to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world it was going to be totally different this was god manifesting himself in the flesh the word had become flesh and dwelt among us it was going to be totally different this was the real deal. We were moving from B.C. to A.D., from law to grace. And I like the way the Gospel of Matthew or Mark put it. It says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. You see, what we had with the kingdom of heaven is at hand is that, that the, the essence of God the essence of the very God of heaven, that, 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 that all that belonged to the kingdom was all wrapped up in Jesus. All of it. Every aspect of it. The kingdom of heaven or of God had come to the earth. And this is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, 3. Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 6, 33, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you or shall be added to you. And notice that it didn't say, and its righteousness, but his righteousness. In other words, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is not an it, it is a he. The kingdom of heaven that was at hand was Jesus. He had come on the scene. And we as Christians are able to experience the kingdom of heaven right now in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the very essence of the kingdom of heaven. Paul said in Ephesians 1.3, the last part of it, it says, Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is not something for the future. It is for today. Jesus wants to set up his headquarters in our hearts. To rule and reign in our hearts. He wants to set up the kingdom. He came to set up the kingdom. But he was looking at our hearts to set up the, that kingdom. In verses 18 to 20, it says, And Jesus, walk, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat, their father, and followed him. Now what I see that is important here, and something that we need to note here, is that Jesus was walking it's like, well, they all walked. It's like, well, they had horses and they had 
they, they had mules and, and stuff like that. But Jesus is walking, and, and he's walking by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. You see, it's important to know that he was walking because, you see, only those who were high, uh, high stature or, or highly important or had money, they rode horses. And even though we were talking about King Jesus, he was going to set up a different kind of kingdom, though. And if Jesus would have rode up <laughs> to, on these guys on, on a horse... These guys, they, again, they were just common people. They probably would have looked up at it and was like, what do you want? What are you doing around these parts? You're not from around here, are you? <laughs> there are not too many guys that would ride up on, on these guys. These guys were just old fishermen, regular old fishermen. Young guys, but, but, but fishermen. They lived on the sea, basically. They were common folk. And they worked hard for a living. And maybe because of who these guys were, and, and as we, we see their, their story here, they were probably well-known and respected among their own. It, it would be as if somebody, an outsider, if, if somebody drove up here, maybe you're working on your, the property or somebody, and somebody rolls up in a, in a limo or a, or a rolls, First of all, you're going, why is that on a dirt road? <laughs> but you would know. You would know going, you're not from around here, are you, buddy? You would think, you don't belong in Finland. I mean, not that, that, not that we can't have Rolls Royces and stuff. I mean, I, we, you know what I'm saying. Somebody riding up on a horse to these guys, they would be looking at them going, you're just so out of place here. And so Jesus walked. He walked to reach the people that he, he wanted to reach. He didn't come high and mighty or anything like that. He walked to these guys. And even though he was a king, he came to serve and not be served. So walking was the best way for Jesus to touch the people. And it says that he saw these two brothers. Now if you're reading this for the first time, or you haven't been in the Gospels in quite a while, you might think, that this is the first time that they have met up with Jesus. But it's not. Again, when you go back to the Gospel of, of John, and this is why you need to read it all, <laughs> all the Gospels. In the Gospel of John, verses 36 to 42, I won't read it. But it tells us that at that time, when Andrew had left John the Baptist, because he was one of his disciples, when he came... It says that he found his brother, Peter, and he says, hey, come and see, man. We found the Messiah. And, and, and Andrew was the one that brought Peter to Jesus. Now, we don't know a lot about the sons of Zebedee in that sense, but they were all together. And I like the way um, Luke puts it in Luke chapter 11. He gives us a, a fuller picture, and I want to read that portion of it. Because it, it, it really does kind of just give us a, a lot of information of what happened that day. In the first 11 verses, it says in uh, chapter, 11, or chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 of Luke. It says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by, this, by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, 
and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to pull out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Therefore, at, or, or nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when, he, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at, worship, at, at Jesus' knee, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. In that text that we just read in, in, in Luke, it says that they forsook all. This was a true sign of somebody who was just so serious about following somebody, who, who, who was so serious about becoming a disciple of that person that they would leave behind all that they had in that sense. But it doesn't say that they lost it all. It said that they willingly forsook it all. But, but notice back in Matthew that Andrew and Peter were casting their nets. This kind of signifies the type of ministry that these two would be involved in. And that is that they were evangelists. They were the type that liked to reach people, so they cast their nets all over the place. Jesus' Jesus's call is straightforward and it's simple. Follow me. He, he didn't say to them, Hey, why don't you just check me out for a while? See if you like me. He, he didn't say, Hey, why don't you just try me? And maybe after two or three weeks, if it doesn't work for you, uh, maybe I'm not, I'm not a good fit for you. He didn't say that. It says that, that, that he, he told them, Follow me. And I know a little later, Peter would say, we have forsaken all to follow you. And Jesus said, you haven't forsaken anything that I haven't given you more of. He, you know, it, it doesn't say that, that in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he took everything from us. No. It said, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave everything to us. That's, that's who he is. He's a giver, not a taker. And these guys, when they forsook, it's not like, well, now you've got to lose everything. Oh, great, Jesus. Now I lost it all. It's like, now you've gained everything. You've gained everything. 
You haven't lost a thing. And I know that sometimes in our lives we're going, no, you don't know what I've gone through, Zeke. And it's like, no, if you're a believer, if you're, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you haven't lost a thing that you will not get more of in this life and in the next. If you want to know about the cost of discipleship, let me give you some scriptures to look up for time's sake. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 26. And in that same chapter of Luke chapter 9, also verses 57 to 62. These are perfect stories of Jesus calling people out and saying, follow me, forsake it all, and follow me. Also in that same gospel in chapter 14, verses 25 to 27. Back in our text, and Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fisher of men. In other words, you follow me and I will give you opportunities to share about me. Follow me and I will, I will give you opportunities to reach out to others like people reached out to you. And I'm not going to lie, some of those times, those are difficult times. <laughs> He puts you in, in some uncomfortable positions sometimes. But they're exciting nonetheless. When you answer that call to follow me, and he says, I will make you fisher of men. Life, life can become very, very exciting when you, when you totally forsake it all. And I know there's some that, that's like, well, I'm, I'm with Jesus, but my life isn't exciting. I can guarantee you there's other things that you keep on putting on the throne. But once you get all that off and you go, it's all you, Jesus. Just me and you. You do whatever you want. I could guarantee you it becomes exciting. I could guarantee you that these guys, when Jesus said this to them and they first took all, I could guarantee you they had no idea what to expect. I could guarantee you they didn't know what was, what was ahead of them. Oh, they understood the concept because they're fishermen. They understood what it meant to cast their nets and to draw in a catch. But how, that, how would that look, being fishers of men? <laughs> Little did they know that what Jesus was, was talking to them about, <laughs> what was about to happen <laughs> at that moment, what Jesus was doing, he was, he was already casting the hook out there, and he had already caught them. And they're going, I'll forsake everything, and I'll follow after you, God. And they would one day be doing the same thing. They would be casting out the hooks of the gospel, basically, and catching men. This this is what happened to Peter the first time he really, after being filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, this is what happened when he cast out his net over over this crowd. It says in in, in Acts 2.41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to, to them. It's almost like, man, he cast out his nets, and he's going, guys, help me out, because there's 3,000 of them, and my nets are breaking. Come on, help me. Guys, this is what happens. This is what happens when you begin to cast out the net of the gospel. When you forsake all, when, when you realize, Lord, I'm all in. I am so all in that I will do whatever you do. Do you want me to do? I'll go wherever you want me to go. 
Whatever you want, Jesus, I want. When you get to that point in your life, it becomes exciting. It really, really does. When, when, when pastors or evangelists have crusades or outreaches or, or concerts and stuff, that, that, it's kind of geared toward, towards the unsafe. That's what they're doing. They're casting their nets out there. That's who these guys were. And that should be our heart's desire, that we should be fishers of men and have a burden to those who are in, in the sea of this world that are perishing. And we have the, the, the net of the gospel in our hand. They might have known Jesus before. And maybe they even started following him somewhat. But from this moment on, they were leaving everything. They were leaving everything to follow after Jesus. It says the word followed means to walk the same road, to walk side by side with another. And from one of the, the commentaries, I got this. It says to join one as a disciple, to cleave steadfastly to one, conformed wholly to his example in living and if, in need, and if need be in dying. They will follow all the way. And, and then in, in, in verses 21 and 22, where, where he says, going on from there, going on from there, he, he meets another group, another bro, uh, brother, uh, another pair. And these, uh, this is James and John, whom he would call later on son of thunder or sons of thunder. Maybe because at one point they wanted to call down fire from heaven. But we'll, we'll, we'll learn more about those guys. But we do know that these two were brothers and it says that they were mending their nets. Again, kind of signifying the type of ministry that they would be called to. Now these guys, James and, and John... They, they, they would be more of, of the pastor type, the shepherd type. They were the, more the ones that would, they wanted to mend people's lives after those guys cast them and brought them in. These guys would be the leaders of, of the church in Jerusalem eventually. James would, would, would get killed, would be the first one to die, and John would be the other one way at the end. He would be the last one to die. But all that time, even though the ministry wasn't long for James, his brother. He was one of the leaders of the disciples and of the people that were getting saved. And he died for Jesus, mending his nets, taking care of the people. They heard the call and they made the decision to follow Jesus. It says that they left their father behind and they left their business behind. And in the Gospel of, of Mark, it says that they, they left all the hired servants behind with their father, which means that they probably had a good business going. But they're going, it's not worth it. Oh, it's not that they wouldn't come around and be with their dad and, and visit with them, but, Dad, there's a higher calling in my life than doing what we're doing right now. You see, they, they were called to leave everything behind. And I love the fact, and we need to note here, 
where Jesus went looking for people to follow him. Or, or maybe we should, we should look at where he didn't go. He didn't go to the rabbi school looking for his disciples. He, he, he didn't go to, to Galilee State University to find these guys. He didn't go to, the, to, to Wall Street, <laughs> that main road that went through Capernaum. He, that, that, not, not that he wouldn't reach those people or couldn't reach those people, but he knew that it was the common people that would hear him gladly. You see, Jesus didn't come high and mighty, nor did he go looking for the high and mighty, but he, he, he had a heart for them as well. Don't get me wrong. And you can read in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, how God has chosen the foolish things of this world. And here's what's interesting. Even some of those high and mighty people, <laughs> their knowledge <laughs> has puffed them up. But they know nothing at all <coughs> if they don't know Jesus. And so he goes after the common people. And there's people that, that come from, from those areas that, man, when they get saved, that's a miracle. That is true. I mean, not that your salvation wasn't a miracle. And I'm probably talking to a lot of people that are high and mighty here, and you're going, you're insulting me. It's like, ah, again, you're not rolling up in a Rolls Royce either. Well, maybe I don't know. I don't go out in the parking lot. But anyways, let's just, let's just move on. Jesus is still walking around for people. Looking for people. He's still walking around looking for people who are willing to leave it all behind and follow him. Now, now we can look at this portion of Scripture here that we've just covered, and we can look at the word immediately. These four fishermen left everything immediately and followed Him, which is amazing. And that's a sermon in and of itself. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that Jesus found them and called them. That is even more amazing, knowing what He was getting. <laughs> Like when he captured me, <laughs> when he got me. <laughs> it's like, he probably caught me and was going, oh, I could throw this one back. <laughs> but he didn't. That's, I think that's bigger. I mean, the fact that I immediately followed after him is huge. But the fact that he even called me is huger, bigger. And so if we know who Jesus is, and if we read about who he is and who he says he is, and, and what we've covered, that he is the very essence of God, the fact that he would even call us, why wouldn't we immediately leave everything and follow him? Everything that you're not going to get more of. Why don't we do that? Why would we ever linger and say, well, let me have one foot in the world, and when it's convenient, Jesus, I will serve you. And he's going, no, follow me. Leave everything behind. So here, in this portion, as we move on, we see that Jesus sets up part of his cabinet. And they will never look back. Oh, they had their times of failure. Don't get me wrong. But for the most part, these guys, these men, 
consistently followed Jesus to the very end. And then from verses 23 to the end of the chapter, it says, And Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of, of sicknesses, and all kinds of diseases among the people. And His fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought to Him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptic, paralytic. paralytic. I want to just put a P in front of epileptic. <laughs> and healed them. Great multitudes followed Him from Galilee and from Decapolis, which was the tent city area not far from there, from Jerusalem, Judea, and even beyond the Jordan. As King Jesus continues to set up His kingdom, He now sets up His agenda for His kingdom. Notice He didn't sit around and wait. He didn't wait for the people to come to Him. It says that He went out, or He went about all Galilee. He went about looking for the people He went out teaching, which means to hold discourse with others in order to instruct them, to deliver information information and and edification or information or whatever. He talked with people. He had discourse with people, but he taught them as he walked with them, as he brought them in. Another part of his agenda was preaching, which is the act of heralding, proclaiming, and publishing the truth. He had a message to draw people in. Healing was was like the third leg of his agenda. (laughs) The Greek word for healing here is therapio, where we get our word therapy which means to serve, do service, to heal, cure, restore, to help. That's what he, that, that's, that's his agenda, even today. That is his agenda, to teach, to preach, and to heal people's lives. Th- this was definitely a time in history that the nation of Israel had not seen for over 400 years. God showed up. And it wasn't the way they expected the Messiah to show up. But it says that his fame went throughout all Syria. And we see in verse 25 that, that, that it went from Galilee to Decapolis to, to Jerusalem to Judea and even on the east side of the Jordan. It went everywhere. That word fame where it says that and his fame went out, the hearsay, the reports, the rumors of King Jesus went out far and wide. And now we, those who follow after him, have a mandate. We have the authorization and the go-ahead to continue his agenda and to make Jesus known everywhere. To the ends of the earth. He says, and I will be with you 
even to the end of the earth. His message is plain and simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he picks up the same message that John had. John was, was no longer the forerunner. Jesus was the preeminent one, the one that would come, that was greater than him. And he had the message. And when he left, he poured out his Holy Spirit upon us so that we would continue that message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He has given us that commandment to continue to proclaim his message. The kingdom of heaven came in Jesus Christ. And he came to set up his kingdom or the kingdom of heaven in the hearts of men. And his fame still goes out far and wide if we're willing to proclaim it. And I can guarantee you this, from the high and mighty to the common people will hear it. They will hear it if you answer the call to follow him. And so as I close here, I need to ask you this question. Is the kingdom of heaven set up in your heart? Because that's where he wants to take up shop. Right there in your heart today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, blessed be your name. Lord, we're just so stoked <laughs> just to know that your word is so true. And you have given us so much, Lord. So much. Father, it's not, it's not, it's not a matter of us following you. Even though that's huge. It's the fact that you found us. You went looking for us. And you called us to follow you, Lord. That, that just blows my mind, Lord. That you would do that. That you would desire that in our lives. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have answered that call. I thank you for those, Lord God, who have forsaken everything in their lives, Lord, to follow after you. Lord, I pray for those my brothers and sisters, who as they sat here and they heard this message, realized, Lord, there's things that they have not left to follow after you. And I pray for them. I pray, God, that you would show them what those things are, that they might forsake it all so that they can follow you. God, only you know my brothers and sisters' hearts here. You know those things, Lord. And I pray, God, that this morning they would surrender. That they would not hold back anymore. They would, they would get so serious about walking with you, Lord, that they would be consistent to the very end. And nothing will get in their way, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that, God, if you want to stretch some of my brothers and sisters, Lord, put them, give them those opportunities. Put them in those places, Lord, where they see themselves and find themselves casting their net. And I know that there's a lot here, Lord, who also, they just have a heart for mending their nets. And I just thank you for all of them, Lord. Please go before us, Lord, in that. Lord, this morning, you showed up. Lord, you want to capture all those who are here who don't know you, that have been sitting in their darkness, and they don't know a way out. And today, Lord, you've given them a glimmer of hope a light has shined into their hearts. Father, please, Lord, draw them to yourself, Lord, right now. Please, Lord, do that. In Jesus' name.
Amen.